listening to the Influencer Girl Lifestyle Podcast with Monica Woodhams. Influencer Girl Lifestyle is all about connecting you with top entrepreneurs, influencers, and celebrities who are sharing their secrets to living the influencer life behind the Instagram filters. So get ready to learn the ins and outs about influence, some girl talk, from dating to shopping for Gucci belts, and of course, the all-too-frequent debate over mimosas versus Bloody Marys at brunch. Here's your host and go-to for all things influencer lifestyle, Monica Woodhams. Hey, y'all. I'm here today with Kate Kennedy. She's the owner and founder of Be There in Five. She's a pop culture podcast host and the author of an Amazon number one release, Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star. So, hey, Kate. I almost just called you Kennedy because <laughs> I was so <laughs> I know. <laughs> so hi, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> of course. Um, I'm a little concerned about the tone that this is now going to set for the rest of the podcast, but we're good. Um, so one of the first things I have to say, when did you start Be There in Five? Yeah, so I started Be There in Five actually about five years ago. I was in a corporate job and found myself on the train every day struck with panic that I was going to leave my curling iron on and burn down my house. And it was going to be such a problem that I decided to kind of correct for it by painting, turn off your curling iron on my doormat. And then I kind of had a light bulb moment where, well, these are always welcome mats that see you in your home that have kind of dated designs. Why not use them to see you on your way out and remind people of things that they forget when walking out the door for people like me that are kind of all over the place. So I started an Etsy shop named Be There in Five as a salute to my tendency to run behind. And <laughs> it kind of took off out from under me. And um, I quit my corporate job about a year, year and a half into the business and have been doing that for the past four. I love it because so I asked about the time frame because I think it was either my second adult apartment or my third where the very first thing I bought before any furniture, anything else was one of your doormats. It was like that just felt like a priority. <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So and it would make sense with that time frame because I was like, I wonder if that's when she first started or because I don't even know how I found you other than probably just searching on Etsy, but yeah, like, it's so funny that I literally still remember that being the very first thing that I felt like I just needed. I love that so much, especially because, you know, sometimes the things you make, you're not necessarily your own target market. I I like had never, you know, I was, I loved the idea of it, but I don't even, I didn't even know where I bought doormats at the time. Like, I don't know, Home Depot when I was passing (laughs) through. And I still am so amazed and love that people found it online and were, you know, it meant something to them, especially in like an early apartment. Cause that's when I started it. And yeah, I love that. Yeah. Okay. So before we dive any further into the business side of things, we have to talk some pop culture because I love your podcast. I feel like when I listen to your podcast, it's like listening to a friend chatting. And honestly, you are where I get my pop culture news because I don't like <laughs> sifting through the sites or magazines or anything like that. And so literally I just get my news from you. I love that. And also it's, you know, the only problem is I'm not an official journalist. So <laughs> the news you're getting is mostly my opinion, but Hey, I love it. That's what I'm here for. I, I'm here to read all the nonsense nobody else has time for, but I live for that. 
Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So one of the things that I've been dying to talk to you about is Lindsay Lohan and her new show, Lindsay Lohan Speech Club. So I watched it last night in its entirety, which was a struggle. I'm not going to lie. Like the first 15 minutes, I was like, okay, I see where this is going. But then I was like, how can this be 15 more minutes long? Truly. It was not what I expected at all. Is that what it was? It what you were expecting? No, but I don't, I guess I don't know what I was expecting. I wasn't expecting just like, like you said, another Vanderpump rules, but no, that's, that was the problem for me is I was kind of, you know, she is this former starlet. That was one of the most famous people in that, you know, Paris Hilton, 2005 ish era falls off the face of the earth kind of does a 180 personality and career-wise, has a falling out with Oprah, which is a death wish. Um, And so then for me, I'm like, oh, well, what's she been up to? I'm so excited to have a reality show about her. But then upon watching it, you realize this show's a train wreck, but it's not her train wreck. It's about this random staff she's compiled at this club where the stakes are incredibly low. And <laughs> it's like, and the best part about a Vanderpump Rules is that there's inherent drama and character relationships. Right. But these are all a bunch of random people. And then she's trying to take on this Lisa Vanderpump type persona. It's just not really landing because I think what she's trying to do is convince us all that she's this serious boss babe businesswoman but we can see through the editing that it's still Lilo you know what I mean right exactly exactly that's the thing it's that it's like she is still trying to prove it to herself and Mm -hmm. it's kind of uncomfortable but speaking of uncomfortable I have to tell you in the first 30 seconds I was already super uncomfortable when she was doing the intro and the last thing she said was something like, and most of all, it's safe. And I was like, wait, this is going to be a theme. Like, because you don't just like throw that out there when talking about like your nightclub. And I don't well, know if that- you noticed that, but um, then finally, like at the end, that's when they like explained that that's where she and her boyfriend got in a fight and that's why she started this nightclub because she said that she wanted to own the island one day so that she could take it back i was like oh my god right did not see that coming (laughs) i I agree with the safe keyword but then when she was explaining the tumultuous relationship to kind of tie it into a, a more meaningful I don't, I don't know, a more meaningful reason behind the business. It was a little bit confusing because it was such a contrast to the content of the show. Right. And like, I'm all for her finding meaning in her work, but it was just kind of like, I, I, yeah, I, I didn't see that coming. And I feel badly for her, but it was unclear to me if that was the real meaning behind the business or if production was kind of like, we need to ground this in something that's a right. little less adapted because this show is a train wreck. Right. And that's what made me so uncomfortable. And then at one point, one of the girls who, if you haven't seen the show yet, like it literally is like a bunch of like, it's like 12 Americans who are there to be ambassadors for this club or whatever. And one of the girls, Mm -hmm. she's like talking about how she's having a, a hard time there already or whatever. And she goes, um, but at least for now I feel safe. And I was like, what, why, why does this keep oh, yeah. being thrown out there? <laughs> like, 
I didn't and, even get that, but you're right. Yeah. It, it was, yeah, that then, then that we have our answer. It's like, yeah. just make sure you tie it back to the notion of safety because, and, but I, I get what she's trying to do. And I, and I do think it humanizes her because in recent years, she's been such a spectacle. Um, but it just, yeah, it didn't feel on t- in, in the same tone of the show at all. And I'm interested to see how that theme unfolds. Yeah. I'm really curious too. Are you going to give it another chance? Are you going to give it to episode two? <laughs> you know, I'm not sure I am. I don't know if I can take this one on. <laughs> There's other things to watch. I, I was going to give it a try. I'm happy to see that she seems to be turning her life around, taking things more seriously. Yeah. I'm personally still not past the Instagram live with the Syrian refugees, but oh if she is, then I guess I'll give that to her. Yeah. It's just, that was weird. That was very, very weird. And she never clarified it. It just acted like it never happened. I wonder if they're going to talk about that. And I mean, I could see them somehow tying that in because they tied in, in one of the previews, her little dance moves that went viral. I don't think those were that crazy. <laughs> it, it like looked weird, but I did. It was I, just I really weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's a bit much with, with the hair and the jumpsuit and the lame, but I, I, I kind of don't expect any less. I wasn't expecting her to, you know, be a skilled dancer, but I suppose just the, the solo <laughs> aspect of it all in front of the DJ booth and the outfit did make it uh, yeah. worth, worth watching. And they knew that putting that in the intro, they would, you know, it was kind of bait. To be like, right. oh, yeah, we have been talking about her lately. This is funny. Right, exactly. Because before this year, we were just talking about her accent, I guess. Her accent wasn't as strong as it was last year. I did notice that. Her, like, right. half Russian less, accent. Right. It was less like Madonna, you know, in Guy Ritchie when she had a random British accent, like, oh, kind of yeah. doing a, a total turnaround and more, like, along the Dorit lines of, Every, you know, (laughs) sentence in word is like a tinge of a different accent. It it creates its own accent rather than being identifiable as one. (laughs) Yes, she and Jari went to the same school of of English. Yes, truly. True citizens of the world. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so then the other thing that happened this week was Kendall Jenner's big, big reveal her bravery moment and it was a lot leading up to it right I know you talked about on your social media leading up to it you had an inkling of what it was going to be but why don't you walk us through like Sunday morning to Sunday night when it actually happened (laughs) well I yeah so I think Kris Jenner announced on Saturday that her daughter was going to be doing something very brave. And it was this very plain video of her in a white t-shirt looking natural being like, when I was 14, I couldn't reach as many people as I can now. And it's kind of this talking head where she wants to let people know that this thing is normal and she experiences it too. And now that she's passed it, X, Y, Z. And everybody was like, what is it? It was so vague. And it in hashtagging things like, you know, bravery and be the change. And I, I, you know, my daughter inspires me. We were like, oh, this is probably about, you know, some sort of issue with anxiety. She's had issues on keeping up with the Kardashians with sleep paralysis, or perhaps she was bullied, whatever it may be. 
the more I thought about it, I realized she used to, she did used to have very bad acne as a teenager. And E! News on Saturday had randomly posted a picture of her um, with like a bumpier complexion from the Golden Globes an exact year prior, Mm -hmm. kind of bringing up that she was skin shamed, if that's a thing. And um, I was like, oh, it's probably going to be about her skin. But to give her the benefit of the doubt, because again, Kris Jenner's quoting Gandhi, it, it must be about, like, it has to be about bullying or something terrible. But then, and I said, like, right before it, I was like, it's going to be something like proactive. She's probably going to have a product line because her and Courtney are really the only ones without a product line that Chris gets 10% of. And I figured it's a matter of time. I didn't know it was going to be proactive. <laughs> when this video comes out and it, it's just a model lamenting about her near perfect look, who's not, who's not there for the product, but really for the millions of dollars, she's got to have to make in order to agree to be the face of a mall kiosk brand like it it was just there was nothing moving nothing meaningful nothing deep about it and sure issues with acne are are absolutely legitimate and people are bullied as a result and there needs to be skincare solutions for it it's just that the announcement for the announcement and the build-up was so pandering to thinking Mm -hmm. that for once a kardashian was going to do you know something that really impacts the world for good but alas, they're just selling us more product. Right. So here's my question to you. Do you think that it's a good move for her to kind of link arms with proactive, or do you feel like she should have done something like her sisters and actually create her own acne product, for example? I think that she's so busy and has so many work opportunities with modeling that her sisters more so created products to fill space And I don't think she has that space to fill. And I think that they offered her so much money that this was just an easier, it was an easier to partner and it was an easier cash grab. And it, you know, has existing brand equity and she wouldn't have to do it from the ground up. I don't know if she has the business business driver savvy that like Kylie or Kim does. But yeah, to your point, I'm kind of like, it's a mail order company, a mall kiosk company. It's, you know, the, the faces of it prior have been kind of random people like Adam Levine and Katy Perry. And Julianne Hough. Yeah. Julianne Hough. Yeah. But I guess to me, that's so oversaturated and my level yeah. of awareness and interest is so not there because again, it's been around since 95 and yeah. Chris Jenner's hashtagging, fi- hashtag finally a solution. I'm like, well, finally, but yeah, it's also over 20 years old. <laughs> So is she like the new, she's the new face of proactive or is there like a sub line that like has her name tied with it? No, I think it's just the Julianne Huff style ad where she could, she just puts her face in the ads and I am already being trolled by proactive. She is all over my feed. And honestly, I think it's more of the social media Facebook ad play where people are more likely to stop seeing Kendall's face thinking it's it's a post from Kendall, but it's for a product. And she doesn't really, you know, she has her big brand deals like Estee Lauder and stuff, but this is a play to a different market. It's not to the high-end market. It's to the more everyday, you know, young adult that suffers from this issue. Maybe she'll be able to move the needle with them in a way that, you know, a different star couldn't. Right. I mean, that makes sense because I also saw that, um, they just launched in Sephora stores. So I'm wondering if they great point realize, yeah, they're just like completely changing their model. And like Kylie just is now in all the stores 
maybe they're you know uh, trying to okay. kind of use that as a proxy but again it's not her own product so it's a bit tricky and i and i have to be honest it, i thought this was a very risky uh business persona goodwill move on right. Kendall's part because of the pepsi mess and yeah. her, her being starring in such a tone deaf ad and what it did for her image and i knew she felt bad about it, and i knew she didn't write the copy of storyboard but still there, there's so many people involved that somebody should have stopped it but it fell on her for being the face of it I just kind of I can't believe that she went for something so gimmicky because I actually do think she seems like one of the more down-to-earth ones of the Kardashian clan who's like not as comfortable with the fame and it doesn't tend to do as exploitative of things do you think that's why like she just doesn't maybe have really like she doesn't even really want to think about it so she's just like okay know about proactive like that's a lot of money sure that's what i'm thinking maybe in that she's not as calculated and she just slides herself into things right whereas i think this yeah i don't know i think it's i do think it's interesting because at the same time i'm like okay she has enough people around her who in theory could just create a line like her own product line for her Mm -hmm. and she needs to Mm -hmm. sign off at the end of the day right which would be just as easy as joining forces with proactive i don't know it's still honestly it's it's a big it's it's really confusing to me and i can't quite figure it out but at the end of the day their level of fame and income is just so beyond anything that really could be rocked by you know small business risks here and there and they and shameless feels like too negative of a word but really they, they don't have shame when it comes to the gimmicky teaser sort of get more viewers of the show get more people to buy our product sort of thing because they've seen it work for the past decade right so i guess i haven't seen it as much within kendall but it doesn't surprise me overall what would you love to see from courtney in terms of a product line see the problem is from watching the show, I just know that Courtney does not care. Okay. <laughs> like she does not, she, she just, she wants to be a mom. She wants to live on a farm. Anything anybody ever brings up or has enthusiasm about, she's like, yeah, what does that do for your life? And she just like, is so, I, I love that. So, so deadpan. Yeah. And, um, she's always been my favorite decide. from day one. I think she's, I think she's, naturally funny because her personality is so odd and I think she actually does a lot for the show whereas Kim like I don't know tries I just think Courtney's very unapologetically herself and I think we're in a climate today where that is is widely accepted and I think Scott's like the best character ever and the more he's on it the happier I am but product wise I do not know what I see Courtney doing because like when they launched those apps that they sent shut down her hers came out like six months late like she didn't even meet the deadline (laughs) I forgot about that. Yeah, she's like never cared. So unless she did something with like health or interior design, like I at one point I heard her and Scott were going to kind of do a Chip and JoJo house flipping thing, but you know, broken up. I don't know if that'll work. So I guess it does for the El Musas. But I, I just, I don't know. I really don't know what I see for Courtney. And she, like, she's a great mom though, and I can tell how passionate she is about her family. And I really enjoy her being a part of the show. And maybe. I can tell that they're now being contracted to be more like have more share in the show. Like mm-hmm. Kylie doesn't really have to be in it. So Courtney and Chloe are paid more to be in it. 
Right. You know what I mean? So I think maybe Courtney maybe just can take a bigger paycheck from her, you know, hijinks being featured in the show, much like her like fertility random storyline this past year that didn't really seem that relevant, but she needed something to talk about. Right. How long do you think the their show will how much longer will it last? Like is this a thing that like our kids will be watching? <laughs> My God. I know, I know. It's like well, there's it's no like I kind of good see it being possible. <laughs> well, right, because it's like the once they get older and don't want to be on TV, then we'll be like watching Penelope and North yeah. take Woodland Hills or whatever. Like, right? The, there's there's inevitable content from and all I'm the kids. I'm gonna so. be here for it. Like, yeah, of course, of course. It, they, they as crazy as they drive me, I'm still going to follow because. The bottom line is, it's naive to deny their influence. And just because it's a business model or celebrity type that didn't exist before doesn't mean it's invalid. And say what you will, but they are influential and they are a major part of the zeitgeist. And I enjoy following them observationally, if not personally. Agree. Agree. I think they stand the test of time. I I think that we'll be seeing spinoff after spinoff for for years to come in some format as long as, as as ease willing to pay for it and I don't see that ending anytime soon the the shows in recent seasons have been weaker this last one was really anchored in us waiting to see what happened when you know we found out about Tristan but even that was kind of disappointing because again they're Mm -hmm. more guarded now they they don't really need to be that vulnerable so I'm interested to see how the quality is affected in in the, the years to come as they get a little bit you know over being in the spotlight Right. Exactly. So, okay. So they're kind of like the original influencers at the end of the day. Like they kind of made this a thing. So in 2019 though, explain to me like your perspective on the influencer space, because I think that you have a very interesting point of view coming from someone who obviously loves pop culture and loves like seeing what's going on. Um, in the world and that includes now very much what's going on in social media but also you're a business owner so you know how you know something that gets posted on instagram can really help a small business so i would love to know from your perspective what what what's the influencer climate that we're in in 2019 yeah i think i i really do think the past couple of years have there's been a shift where the at the time when bloggers were first starting to get big and mainstream the highlight reel that the curated feeds were, were very revered and rewarded and these impossibly fabulous settings who maybe sometimes we question the financial situation behind it but we're kind of like the norm we weren't questioning it we weren't feeling like it was out of touch but now it's a it's a different world where relatability is so much more of a currency than aspiration is and for me I respect people who come across as honest who share the good and the bad and who most importantly despite their fame and despite their increase in income remain just even a little in touch with reality mm-hmm. and I think that those that don't are experiencing a shift in their following being more of like I hate this word and I don't know a better one for it like it's it, it, it's more of a lurk. I don't want to say a hate watch, but it's more of like a I'm less influenced in following you because I love what you're doing, and more so because like I just want to poke holes in what you're doing. 
And right. unless you bring in an element of reality, people kind of start to resent that a little bit. And mm-hmm. I think too, for me, some of the, especially with like, you know, what's, what's going on in the world and really trying, really seeing more of a cultural shift with women's empowerment, with feminism, with the importance of so many issues that relate to women, uh, sometimes the curated highlight reel styles that haven't evolved are a little bit upsetting to me because it's a real missed opportunity with a platform. Not that you need to talk about politics, but all I asked for is like personality, intelligence, yeah. adding value in, in some way, shape or form. So the people that are generating you ad revenue and buying your product at least are being encouraged to cultivate their personalities, their sense of humor, to be encouraged to have diverse life experiences. And when it's just about taste and aesthetics and products, it's, it's so, it's, I don't know, something's missing for me. And I don't want to trivialize it at all, but I just wish I was seeing a little bit more of a balance as it relates to, you know, the, the bigger names and extracting some meaning from what they're doing. In addition to all the fun, light stuff that we go to Instagram for in the first place, right. if that makes any sense. Absolutely. In the past few months, I really shifted how I was using my Instagram because, so here's the funny thing about me being in the blogging industry. So I've been in it for like nine years since I was a junior, senior in college. And when it was like kind of a nerdy thing, because I like technology, but I also liked fashion. So somehow it like was the best of both worlds trying to figure out how to code things and make it pretty. Yeah. Um, That was the very (laughs) beginning. Yeah. And so that's like what got my interest in it. And I've always been pulled back, but I've never been able to consistently be in it because as it shifted, it shifted into being this like perfect influencer persona where like you always had to have your hair done, your makeup done, the perfect outfit. And while I can put together a killer outfit, that's like 10% of my life, which made it really hard to create consistent content. So like a lot of the girls who I started with at the same time, who at the time, like we would like, I don't like email each other back and forth and things like that. They now have like 300,000 followers and I have like 16 and it's because (laughs) they showed up every single day and I didn't. And it's because like, I don't like, I don't want to say I'm lazy because I'm like one of the hardest working people I do. But when it comes to like my aesthetic, like it's very forced for me to be able to like do my hair and makeup every day. It's just not going to happen. And so this year I was like, okay, if I like at this point, I've been dipping my toe in and out for almost 10 years. I need to make a decision once and for all what I'm going to do. And I love the industry so much. I love like I've met so many cool people through it that I'm like, I can't like, I want to be in it. And I think that there's so much good that can come of it, but that means I'm going to have to show up my own way. And so my Instagram stories now like are like my hot mess, weird situations of me, like slipping on my rug and, or dropping my coffee in the middle of whole foods, trying to take an Instagram photo But what I've realized is that all of a sudden, I'm actually having conversations with my audience for the first time ever. They used to all be lurkers. And now like, I'm just chatting with them all the time. And I'm like, holy shit, if I had realized this, like, yeah, right. But then 
maybe you can't go back in hindsight because five years ago you could argue that you really did have to have that curated feed for someone to make the decision to follow you. I don't know. Right. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you. And in terms of the concept and of what the feed, the direct feedback you see when you start doing that, that you think that the vulnerability is going to be met with like a, a total lack of interest in unfollow mm-hmm. When the reality is, I think only the person like, you know, doing it really gets to see that the DM engagement is wild. Mm -hmm. And like, it doesn't necessarily always translate to like posts and what you, what's visible to others. But with stories, like that's kind of my barometer is like, like you said, how people engage with you as like a real person and not just with your content that's kind of agnostic from who you are. Like, I think the weirdest thing is when you get to the point where people comment on your photos and stuff as if you're not there. To be a person first and a brand second. And that's the best way to build a brand if you're going to be an influencer. And to your point, like about feeling, you know, you know, you're not lazy, but why did you kind of pop in and out? I think that, well, A, you've been incredibly successful in the past decade because people like you that started early kind of got to trailblaze and made into what they wanted. But the problem is probably when you pulled back and when other people entered the game, instead of being able to form this new medium into what you wanted, everybody was making it in the image of what everybody else was doing. So then we have this homogenous world of the, you know, the peonies and the acrylic coffee table and the, you know, faux white throw over the ghost chair. And it was just like this world where everything was the exact same. And it was, and it was just really lacking something, but now there's a shift to where people are doing exactly what you're doing. And it's incredibly refreshing in terms of the fatigue that's caused when your Instagram feed just feels like a bunch of people who are lapping you in life. Yeah. And how refreshing it is when you reach somebody who's like, I'm having a bad day. I tripped on a rug. I humiliated taking a photo in a grocery store. Like, I don't know. It's like on reality shows, I live for the fourth wall being broken. Right. I I just think there's something to, you know, even if you've historically been a person that's really been more grounded in the aesthetics and visuals and the highlight of it all, you know, just letting us in a little bit more because now if we followed you for five, 10 years, we feel like owed something. And I know that's not the right word and any celebrity or public figure will be like, we don't owe people anything privately. But I think with bloggers and influencers, you kind of do because you're one of us. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. And that's why we liked you and followed you in the first place. So I don't think if that part of the job makes you uncomfortable, I don't think the job's for you. I completely agree. And, you know, even from the consumer standpoint of like who I follow, there's people who I unfollowed, but somehow came across their Instagram stories at one point. And then I was like, oh my gosh, if you are funny, I'm going to refollow you, even though I think your feed is so boring. <laughs> and it's like, it oh my just God, my shows, feed's like, the worst. But my yeah. stories are interesting. Like it's it's hard to balance the two. It's I yeah, it really is. And like I look at my feed and I'm like, that is actually kind of a different person than who shows up on my stories. And mm-hmm. I think that in itself is maybe something to kind of self-reflect on. <laughs> but totally. I, mean, I, and I just feel like I have this conversation with other people in this line of work all the time. Like that's what people are that's the that's the problem people are trying to solve right now is we're on the same platform creating content for two totally different experiences 
Mm -hmm. and how do you make them translate like people with great feeds don't always have good stories and vice versa whether it's like doing weekly recaps or highlight reels or whatever because I don't think highlights have been like that effective Um, at least not for me same no I think it's like a really important and interesting thing for influencers to kind of solve for and innovate around and have best practices for Yeah. I love how you are all about thinking outside the box and not just in in a separate conversation last week when we spoke, you're very much about like think outside the box just because everyone's doing something this way. Like how can we leverage something that's not really working and actually make it something that's going to work for us? So I I like that you bring that up about the highlights. Yeah, I think I, I I think that's the only place you can operate from in effort in an effort not to feel behind or get lost in the comparison game. I think the older I've gotten, the more I've experienced things. I've realized when things aren't working, it's not because I'm doing something wrong. The, the system very well could be flawed, and how can I correct for it to work in my favor? Um, because the the you know. The former attitude that I had was so woe is me, and it really de-energized me from being on social media. But the second I stopped trying to be like other people's accounts, like previously I just had a doormat account essentially, Mm -hmm. but then my strategy became not having a strategy and like I don't have to be anything. And the only thing I'm going to like and not resent is to talk about the stuff I love. And that's where that consistency comes in you talked about. Like the only way I would ever have interest is if it was the stuff I was actually interested in. And if fashion is 10% of your life, inevitably the consistency won't be there, not because you're lazy, but because it's just, it's that, it's that, you know, kind of almost annoyingly prevalent authenticity factor people always talk about, but it's really true. And in, in getting away from math and just talking about pop culture, even though I had no permission or license to do so, that's why I started (laughs) engaging people because it shows when you care about something, you know? Right. Well, and I think that I could even be a really good example for you and that I was one of your early buyers, right? I bought one Mm -hmm. of your products way, way early before, like, I mean, in the early days of Instagram, honestly. And, um, but I didn't, I don't think I followed you on Instagram. I think I followed you in the last year on Instagram and, but now I'm like hooked and to the point where I'm like, I need you to come onto my podcast, <laughs> right? And it's, no, had it's so, yeah, it's so your account only been doormats. I probably, probably, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now because I wouldn't uh, okay, know. No. Can I have a conversation with this girl? Would she and I get along? Exactly. And that was kind of the really big um, issue I was noticing. And because I, in, you know, in a business standpoint, it, whether, the people listening, you have a product or you are your product. When you get to a place where you're a little tired of it and you want to pivot, you have to figure out a way to get your audience to move with you. So I was kind of faced with, I need people, I want people to follow me and not the maps and not the product. Cause then regardless of how relevant what I'm doing is they'll come along and I don't need to constantly be pivoting off of this existing thing. So it was my first idea and it was my one idea that took off, but it's not my best and it's not my last. Mm-hmm. And um, I really, in just kind of like giving up and being like, I'm just going to talk about what I like and I'm not going to look at views, I'm not going to look at numbers. I'm just going to attract the right people, repel the wrong people and play the long game. And um, that honestly, it probably took about a year. And I'm still, I mean, I'm still small potatoes compared to so many, 
but the engagement I have and I've seen and I felt, especially with kind of branching out other things like the podcast or the book, that is solely because of this active decision and shift I made on Instagram where people all of a sudden felt like they knew me. Right. So speaking of your other ideas that have come to fruition, one of those is your book, which was an Amazon number one release, Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star. It's a Christmas gift that I gave to one of my blogger friends, and she said it was the best gift that she got. I have it on my coffee table. Um, and I, okay, so let's start with the process for writing a book, right? So many people dream of writing a book. Is this something that you always knew you were going to do is write a book, whether it was a parody children's book for adults? Did you always know that you were going to write a book? I, I wouldn't say I always knew. I think that the commonality in anything I like to do is words, whether it's talking, writing, putting words on a doormat. I've always done lettering. Like I, I've always been a writer and I've always rhymed, you know, birthday cards. I rhymed my wedding speech. I rhymed a few college essays. Like I've always had this weird kind of like side skill set of, of being able to like put things in poetry for <laughs> well. Like my childhood hero is like Shel Silverstein. So I've always, it's always I have been that like a personal my- interest. <laughs> Coffee table book as well. Yeah, that but, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. Um, yeah, it's, so it's kind of like, I've always, I've always been very into the written and spoken word a little bit more than I felt like my peers were, especially at a younger age when it wasn't that popular. Um, and I, when I was in elementary school, I wrote like my dream was to be an author and I would go to young authors events. And so it's always there, but then I, you know, I went to college for business. I had this corporate marketing job. I pivoted into this weird, like flooring business. I don't know. It's just kind of lost. But it was always something that I was, I knew I was good at and I knew I really loved. And what ended up happening is I was kind of at a crossroads in my career, like truly in a difficult place, like didn't know where to take the business, didn't have any engagement or luck with social media, resented it hugely. And I felt so stuck that I almost think that inadvertently it took me back to basics. And on a day where I hated social media and was like mad at it, I wrote this poem a satire of social media called Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star, where I just kind of lovingly made fun of the things we all do online. And it was kind of the way I channeled my negative energy, which was funny because it's kind of what I used to do when I was younger, when I would write things. And um, I kind of like had a light bulb moment where I was like, this is funny. And I had built my audience more and I, we had talked to uh, my Instagram stories and podcasts. I have a constant dialogue about influencers because I think that like in, I don't know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of an outsider when it comes to influencers because I don't sell products, but then I'm also not going to pretend like having a platform doesn't give you a level of influence, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I kind of am in in a weird in-between. So I like to talk about influencers as as a consumer on the other end, like any of my listeners are, and kind of like we're talking about now, just think about it in, you know, in terms of its role in the zeitgeist and long story short, I shopped around the book idea. I didn't see anything like it. And through the follow the, through the following I had built, I ultimately was able to get a book deal because it's easier without an agent and whatnot if you have a following. Mm-hmm. And it's like this weird thing where everything seems so disjointed, but it all makes total sense in terms of when you engage people with you, when you hone in further on the things you know you're good at instead of beat yourself up about all the things that other people are good at that you aren't. 
that's when you find your, 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 you know, place in the sky for lack of a better term. It's like in doing the thing that I knew how to do, not going crazy, being bad at social media. I just wrote about it. That's when I ultimately got my best career break is when I did more of the thing that was mine. Right. So when you created this, did you wrote the, you wrote the full book during this day when you were having a day, let's say, um, or did you start it, shop it around and then kind of tweak it and finish it? I wrote what I, what I thought at the time was like the entirety of it, but I'm also, it wasn't super polished. It wasn't like perfect, perfect, because I'm very much a believer in a minimum viable product model. Like perfection doesn't exist in the absence of someone's opinion. So I kind of like knew the the meat of what it was going to be about and just Google, like straight up Googled. I don't, I didn't even know anybody that had written a book. I didn't network. I just looked up like self-publishing versus publishing, looked up how to write a book proposal, wrote it. Um, and I had chopped around other ideas before that and went absolutely nowhere. Like I kind of really had no reason to think it would work other than I felt like it was relevant. It was topical and that I knew I at least had a subset of people that I could promise would buy it. Right. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how it came to be. It was, it, I wish it was like a more straightforward process, but just like anybody else would, if you want to do yeah. something, you Google how to do it and you hope for the best. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. And I, I, what happened because that is kind of the realistic scenario, right? In this day, like, I mean, um, right. my brother, for example, he's published a few books and he started out through self-publishing this before he started his publishing, um, business. But yeah, it's like you literally, it's 2019. If you have an idea and you think it's viable, just start taking action. Exactly. If, if there's like anything I want people to know, it's that you don't need like a degree or some sort of pedigree or official capacity or uh, permission to do what you want to do. We have so much access to information. If the baseline talent's there, you can figure out all the logistics that, you know, whose navigation gets easier with experience, but you don't necessarily need the experience in order to be successful. I, I think like everybody is a person who at one point was forced right. to just figure it out. And where you go wrong is assuming that just because it's hard for you or it's not straightforward or you don't have connections or you don't have the money or whatever it is, that you shouldn't pursue it anyway because because talent is really the baseline of what matters. And I think people know when they're good at something and just do everything in their power to argue for their limitations right. because they're scared. And I just want people to just try things anyway. Right. We're very much trained, at least when we were in school, that – the more educated, so quote unquote, educated you are, the better you'll be set up for the scenario that you want. Right. Um, and, and this is totally. interesting because yesterday I was actually watching this um, sports talk show because it was it was just on like I never I actually don't watch it. I'm not going to pretend like I normally watch it, but they had a very interesting conversation that they were having because the um college quarterback for Clemson who won the national uh championship game he's just 19 but they're saying that he could 
be drafted like first round. He's that good. But the NFL has rules that you have to be in school for two years. Um, so he can't. And so the argument was, mm-hmm. is that fair that if you have the talent that you have to still have the have to go to the schooling for it, for example. And one of the journalists, his perspective was, I couldn't be here hosting my own show if I hadn't gone to college first. And someone else was like, well, actually, maybe you could have, mm-hmm. like, if you were, if you had the natural talent and the right connections. So it, it's actually a really interesting conversation mm-hmm. in all aspects. It is. And it's like, what is based on just kind of ir- mm-hmm. irrelevant precedents? Yes. that needs to be revisited and what has merit in today's exactly. in this day and age. Cause I could see an argument for both. Cause like the NBA uh, doesn't year. require school, right? Oh, see, I didn't even, I thought people could go straight out of high school. See, it, yeah, it's like so arbitrary. Why is <laughs> right. that different? Exactly. So like baseball, you know, you can go straight from high school, right? And yeah. Like baseball, it, it's, right. it's completely arbitrary. There's no reason why. And it's interesting also, so not to dive too deep in this, but basically what they were saying is it's the NFL's rules, right? And so in order to change that, um, the NFL union or whatever would have to agree to that change rule, but the players don't wouldn't want to agree to that because then their jobs would be on the line to these younger guys coming in sooner than after two years in college. Mm. I know. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> Things that you didn't think today. <laughs> that, no. <laughs> totally. And it all comes back to like incentives and motivations of all it people. It's, it's so complicated. But also I love how you say not to get too deep into this. Like I love nothing more than oh, a deep we are for a tangent. So so. <laughs> now I'm like, I could publish this on my sports <laughs> podcast now. Check that off. <laughs> I was just about to ask you, yeah. like, am I sporty now? I feel like I just it was able to engage in a sports well, condo, you, which I normally you post about the bears. <laughs> Did I- yeah. Did I? Oh, yeah. I posted that I wanted to make, like, gal pals with Bear fans because I, I was, like, watching the local news and these, like, fun girls my age were, like, doing a shot ski. And I was like, oh, wait, I could do that. Like, I want, I need to make friends in the city. And then my husband was like, um, the whole point of the story is the season's over. And I was like, oh, man. This whole time. This whole time. Next year. So maybe now I'll oh, there you go. go. To there you go. Events. I mean, <laughs> I know. We got a whole new sport that's coming around here so we'll see exactly i know i'm in it for the wrong reason but i think that's totally fine speaking of that was a quote that happened multiple times on Lindsay lohan's show i wrote that down in my notes is that Lindsay kept Lindsay kept saying i need to know that you're here for the right reasons to the ambassador Oh my gosh, I didn't notice that, but yeah, that's like the bachelor cliche. Of it should, cliche. and it should Lindsay's trademark. trying it out for size, so yeah, that's hysterical. And like on that note too, for anybody that watched the Bachelor Monday, it is wild on the topic of influencers too to look at oh the girls' accounts before yes. and after the premiere, and it's like uh, I, I like you know and tap dancing and being a circus clown on Instagram all day to get like five new followers a day. Meanwhile, you go on one F of the bachelor, you you get six figures overnight and then you can sell, you know, sugar bear hair gummies till the end of time. And it's like so crazy to watch how that too is like 
Yeah, oh, an avenue. The Bachelor is one of life's greatest social experiments. Why more sociologists aren't studying that <laughs> is beyond me. But yeah, I oh, mean, I know. and I don't hate it because I think yeah. it's given us some great content creators that wouldn't have found it otherwise. And I love a lot of former con- oh, yeah. contestants. Your your Becca Tilly's, JoJo's, yes. Caitlin Bristow's of the world. I think they're well, fabulous I- influencers. But then it's like I'm upset that I yeah. feel like I missed my window on The Bachelor because there was this meme going around and it felt really real. And it was basically like when you're 26, your friends have been like telling you, you should go on The Bachelor. You should go on The Bachelor. And at 26, you're like finally like, OK, maybe I'll give it one more year. And if I'm still single, I'll think about it. And then now all of a sudden I'm 29 or 29 in a week. And I'm like, shit, I missed my window because I don't want to be the girl that's basically in her 30s on the show with a bunch of 23-year-olds because I feel like it's also gotten younger. But it's a bad but It has gotten younger. But yeah, like but the girls were still 22. <laughs> and there's nothing that sounds like worse than I living know, in a house with a bunch of 22-year-old girls. <laughs> that is true, but I'd argue that the the real winners are the person that right now you're up with the guy. That's so true. So even if you are old relative to the women in the house, you're probably more in tune with the people right. watching because you have the maturity and the experience to know to not be like a season one Stasi, for example, of to quote Vanderpump Rules again, but you'll be like cool and level headed and you won't over edit yourself, but you also know I like I think that you're in the sweet spot and I maybe am selfishly well, talking because I want to know somebody who goes co- on the show. Can you be my coach? Not, can you be so my bachelor application <laughs> coach? Should we make this happen? Oh, a million percent. My only payment would be uh, being allowed to be at the hundred percent to ask questions. A hundred percent of the candidates. I will make up a reason to <laughs> need to be in Chicago. Or <laughs> I mean, technically, my parents that, are in Kansas City. Truly, that is such a Not dream that for far. me. I, I want to be inside the machine. I just, I want to know how it all works. And like, I think it's all the better if you don't well, really want to get married right. on the show because you get the followers. Right. The no, I don't. And then you can go okay. on paradise. Well, all right. You can be my manager. So maybe we, we'll, we'll have a sidebar conversation on this after the podcast. <laughs> Yeah. But, anyway, well, do. <laughs> okay. Where can everyone find you? Where can they listen to your podcast? Where can they find you on Instagram? Where can they buy your book? Because seriously, it's it's one of those books, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the podcast. I wouldn't be saying it if I didn't think it. Um, it's one of those books where you buy it for a friend, and then two days later, you're like, I wish I had bought that for myself, and then you do. So, yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh, you're so nice. Yeah. Well. So Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star, my book, you can buy it on Amazon, wherever books are sold. You can go into any bookstore gift shop and ask them to stock it, and they will because it's sold however ever any other books are sold to the same distributor. It's um, I didn't really explain it what it was very well, but it is a parody for adults. It's kind of a concept of a mama bear explaining to a baby bear how to make it online in a kind of a way that's irreverent, and the it's illustrated through the imagined social media accounts of nursery rhyme characters. So whether it's at Mary had a little scam and her MLM or a uh, little Bo Peeps go fund me for her lost sheep or little Miss Muffet hawking curds and whey protein. It's kind of my, you know, love letter and burn book to social media in terms of joking about the ways in which we use it. 
and it's really cute and it's fun and it's a perfect baby shower gift or it's a great coffee table book because it's a conversation piece and that ends my show with it. Um, but yeah, and then as in terms of Instagram, find me at be there in five, um, F-I-V-E, not the number, and be there in five.com, be there in five.etsy.com for some of my products and my podcast, Shocker, is also called be there in five and it's on iTunes. So I would love if you guys would listen. If you if you want to talk more pop culture, more influencer life, more of the things clearly um, Monica and I could talk about for hours. I'm like, wait, this is over. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I truly it's so much fun. I could talk to you forever. Thank I love you. your podcast. Love what you're doing. And I think it's super important to be empowering women who are self-employed who are finding their own way in their own careers. It's been, incredibly thankless at times and it's incredibly hard and all we self-employed people have that work alone all day is the community of the the, the, the content we keep the company we keep the podcast we listen to and I love that you keep me company Yay. awesome well thank you so much Kate let's do this again and yeah we're signing off <laughs> thanks for listening to the influencer girl lifestyle love this episode don't forget to subscribe rate and review for show notes and free resources on living out your influencer lifestyle, head over to monicawoodhams.com forward slash podcast.